Rome FM. But if I can link to what you're doing, and especially if we have some sort of ability to see how others have linked to the same thing, I think that's that's going to open up a really cool world of possibilities. Hello there. Welcome to Rome FM. Here we dive into the minds, workflows, and machinations of the Rome cult, the believers of Rome research. My name is Norman Cella, and I am on a mission to deconstruct wisdom from all walks of life so we can understand each other better. In this episode, we talk with David Crandall, who is a software architect for a globally known company and freelance as a fractional CTO, aka a part-time CTO. As someone who's been in technology since the mid-90s, he has been obsessive with the notion of note-taking, having taken notes for 25 plus years. So the introduction of Rome to his workflow is a very fascinating story that we will dive into. We talked about the dark times before he stumbled into Rome. His workflows, from tracking his habits to the way that he takes meeting notes, and his dislike of non-contextual metadata, which we will talk about more later on, and the future of Rome. As someone who has written an amazing post predicting the future of Rome, from a software architect's perspective, the possibilities of multiple interfaces all connecting to the same Rome graph led to a rabbit hole of a discussion. Not only the future of Rome, but the future of Rome cult from his point of view. So if you are ready, let's dive into my chat with David Crandall. Mr. David Crandall, welcome to Rome FM. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. And thank you for being here with me to talk about anything and everything related to Rome research, especially on one, how you're going to use it, and two, the future uh, of Rome, because we are going to have a really huge, you know, block of time to deep dive into your predictions on the future of Rome. But uh, well, I have a feeling that's going to be a very big part of a conversation. But before we even get to that, we are going to have to do a little bit of time travel back to the dark times uh, before you stumbled into Rome the tool. David, I know that you've been you know, taking notes for quite a while, but could you tell us your origin stories? How did you stumble into the tool and what wowed you with it? Absolutely, absolutely. So I've actually been taking notes for about probably around 25 to 27 years. I'm in my mid-40s right now. So obviously back in the old school days, it was on spiral notebooks, pieces of paper, uh, anything I could find. Uh, but to my wife's sadness, when we got married, I had boxes full of books of notes. Um, <laughs> but that did compel me to move to the digital age as quick as I possibly could. I, I tried little things like Blogger back in the day, tried to keep little personal things like that. Uh, Workflowy, I've had a Workflowy account for the past eight years, still have the same account, paid account. Big proponent of the Zettelkasten methodology, things like that. So, I've, note taking is something I do a deep dive into. It's something I find fascinating. Uh, I watch YouTube videos on how to take notes. I read books on how to take notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, just go full nerd, I guess. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> now, if I, I take it that from all the times that you are reading up on how to take notes and doing note taking, and watching YouTube videos uh, on taking smart notes, how did you discover Rome? Because there are many different avenues to actually you know, discover the tool itself, but uh, what's your angle on this? So back at the end of February, before the world caught fire, um, <laughs> uh, I was watching, there's like an hour-long note-taking video uh, because 
uh, and I saw up in the recommended, it was a video by Shu Omi, and it was just something quick. He just happened to mention Rome. Uh, and I watched that video, and like pretty quick, I was sold, even before opening up the application, like just seeing how it was an outliner, and it looked a lot like Workflowy, but it had the block references, the page references, the ability to type in link things so quickly, just those two things, and obviously Rome's deeper than that, but those two things alone right from the start caught my attention. And I saw that video about 12.30 in the morning, and <laughs> I was up for quite a few hours after that. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, we call that, you know, that Rome itch where once you know the uh, potential uh, of what the tool can give you, then you just want to stay up to keep working on it. Now, the oh, yeah, you're ruined. Yeah, really. Yeah, I, I had the same as all when I discovered the tool. So the the interesting thing about this is that even before, like at 12.30 a.m. in the morning, you already realized the potential of Rome, the aha yeah. moment, as we call it, because a lot of people would look at the tool and they would think, oh, that's interesting. And it's just like a bullet point tool, just like maybe Workflowy, which is like quite a comparison at that time, like just that feature. But then yeah. on using it further, maybe a few weeks in, they realized the potential. But you immediately saw the value of it um, from a two to three minute video. Could you tell me yes. what did you imagine or what did you envision when you looked at this video, you know, from having 25 plus years of experience note taking? What was mind blowing about it? There's a couple of things that stood out to me pretty quick, and I don't know which one came first, which one got my attention first, but the fact that it was in Markdown was really nice. Hmm. Um, I do like plain text editors, but having that little extra push of Markdown, just an extra nerdy thing that caught my attention. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Um, the fact that it's a bullet point outliner that you could zoom in on nodes uh, or blocks, as we call them in, in Rome, that was pretty exciting. That you know That builds on the Markdown excitement. But then once I saw how things could link together and how quick you create a whole new concept of a page or a block by just typing in double brackets, clicking it, and now you have a blank thing to go. It's it's like it took Workflowy, Markdown, Zettelkasten, and the idea of a wiki and stuck them all together in this very eloquent interface. Did you just call it eloquent? Elegant. Yeah, elegant <laughs> elegant, interface. Elegant, elegant. <laughs> I'm the eloquent one, apparently. <laughs> Did you have to take time to get used to the interface? Because uh, everything starts off with the daily pages, like the daily notes. So the most okay. empirical you know, metadata is a date. But what's your take on that? So I watch this video. I get super excited. I go, I sign up for the beta. I get signed in. And I'm greeted with the date, February 27th, 2020. Hmm. I was like, oh... Oh, it's based around dates. That's great. Actually, I hated it. I hated it from the start. <laughs> uh, my opinion has changed, but in that moment, it was actually kind of a letdown that it was around dates. Uh, and I think because I had been workboy for so long, you make whatever you want. Like it's all categories or dates or whatever you want it to be. And I, I think I was expecting that. And so I was like, oh, well, okay, sure. Let's go with this. Uh, but I've actually come to really like the date approach. Uh, it just took a little bit of learning that and wanting everything to be perfect and then realizing it, well, each date's going to be a little ugly mess in its own if you let it be. But that was okay. But it was it was shocking to open it up and just have this blank date page stare at you. Yeah, it, it is a bit... I'm not sure if intimidating is the right word, but 
daunting. Daunting? Yeah, maybe that's that's the better word to describe it. A page that is already defined as just today. Yeah. And you have nothing on, on the page is from a certain perspective, it may seem worse than having a blank page with no title. And I think it's because oh, yeah. we have different a different perception of a date in note-taking systems. So Rome is yeah. quite quite adamant about making things really chronological in terms of where or where or when you write notes, it's assigned to this date and everything else goes. So uh, I, I had to take some time to get used to that. Uh, I'm, not sh- I'm not sure how, how long did it take for you to go from the blank page of a workflowy system to every day logging in something. It doesn't matter how <laughs> you organize it. And then from there, yeah. it'll just magically connect. <laughs> So it was funny because it was after midnight and I've always dated my notes, whatever the majority of the day I was awake. So if I'm after midnight, I still dated the previous day. So here's this page forcing me to think, oh, you're in the next day. So that was irritating. I was like, well, I don't know what this next day is supposed to be yet. Mm. But it's been nice. Like, you know, in the beginning, you just kind of take some random notes and you start seeing how things click. And I've heard a lot of people like one of the first instincts we have is to start cramming all of our notes in there. We're like, okay. Yeah. Well, I've got all of this. I'm bringing all my baggage and I'm jumping in here at once. <laughs> <laughs> For better or worse. I'm just going to give it all my garbage. Actually, yeah. I, um, should, I, want, I want to ask. You have 25 years of notes, mostly analog. Yeah. Are you, are you yeah. transferring all of it into Rome? So thankfully, thankfully, uh, and this, this might be a good segue as to what my life currently looks like right now. Yeah, I had please. already started digitizing a lot of those analog notes. Last year, in June of 2019, uh, my wife and I sold everything, almost quit my job, uh, and then moved our family of six to Cozumel, Mexico from Dallas, Texas. So that was an international move. I say almost quit my job because I went in to quit. They're like, you just want to work remote? And I was like, oh, that's a, much, that's a better solution. Let's do that thing instead. But when we moved international, we had to be very selective on what we brought. So I had already started, I mean, we moved in June, but obviously I knew ahead of time. But so I had started digitizing a lot of the notes. So I had them just in plain text files and a lot of them were in Workflowy. I used Drafts app on iOS. Uh, so I even had stuff in there. They're just kind of scattered everywhere. <clears throat> so thankfully I had digitized a whole lot of stuff. Okay, so you don't have to bring uh, all those notebooks uh to Mexico, right? Thank, okay. Thankfully, oh. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I saw the post uh, on uh, you making the move and you have like 26 luggage bags, I believe. And I was just thinking oh my to gosh. myself, like how, one, how do you transfer or how do you move 26 luggage bags into international borders or like across countries? And two, how many of those are notebooks? Because uh, that's that's probably representative of what Rome can be for a person. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So each one, you know, there's six people in my family. There's my wife and I, and then we have four children. Yeah. And so each person gets a personal bag, uh, a carry-on, and then a big luggage. Of course, we paid some extra. But like my youngest is six. She was barely carrying her own personal bag. So it was a sight to see basically two adults being mules with luggage through the airport. <laughs> it was nightmarish. I'm just going to say that. Uh, we did make it in one piece, but mm. we were exhausted when we got there. Um, but yeah, there was no notebooks or anything like that. We went, I had digitized all that stuff that I, I was wanting to bring. Obviously there's still a bunch of things I didn't get to. Uh, they're still sitting in storage. 
but apparently a luggage full of Barbie wins out over my notebooks. So <laughs> can you imagine getting stopped yeah, at customs <laughs> with a whole bag oh full of Barbies? <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you. And when you go into Mexico, there's this button you push. And if it turns red, they check your bags. If it turns green, they just pass you through. Oh, okay. And the security guy were both stressing when I hit it. And thankfully it turned green. We're like, woo. <laughs> Oh, okay. Wow. It's like the lottery, right? Or like uh, like a 50-50. Oh, okay. Whoa, that's uh, oh, that's an interesting way of doing it. Okay. Oh. It is. It's very different than anywhere else I've been. <laughs> and now that you have a year plus now of living there, I would, should I say resetting your life to uh, a more calmer, uh, slower approach, uh, working remotely, and you are using Rome to... To help you with that, let's uh, let's do a deep yeah. dive into your workflow because uh, not only do I have quite a few questions, we have quite a few questions coming in uh, from Twitter. So the most generic question of all, David, what is your workflow? How how do things go into your notes? Like normally, if it was like a normal notebook, but now that you have Rome, how does it how did it change like your flow? You know, I mentioned February twenty seventh is when I stumbled upon Rome the first time. Well, two, three weeks later is when we all wanted to quarantine. Mm, uh, okay. So the first two, three weeks, I kind of kept it up on this, you know, on a second monitor, didn't really do much with it. Uh, I just occasionally would enter a couple notes here and there. And then quarantine hits and surprise, all of us are stuck at home. <laughs> <laughs> and Mexico was very strict. There was, we didn't go for walks outside. Uh, you couldn't leave the house with as more than one person at a time. So I basically left the house three times in four months, and my kids left never once. My wife went to the store and did grocery shopping. So very different than how the states experienced it, but lots and lots of times to develop my methodology on a new application. <laughs> At first, I wasn't using it for work. I was just using it to dump notes in. And as I did that more and more, I started seeing connections on old notes. Like I have notes like before 2000 that we're starting to connect with notes I'd taken in the past month. And that was a really cool experience. Yeah, it's kind of mind blowing. And I'm encouraged for anyone starting or in the middle of their journey, after it goes for a while, just start seeing those connections uh, and see how much you change in that time. Like things that were important to me, my uh, best year yet uh, post from 2000, the year 2000, just a journal entry I did. The things that were important to me versus when I did that in you know, 2020, 20 years later, like, I'm like, wow, I'm such a different person now. Uh, nothing bad. It's just motives and things like that had changed. So that was kind of cool. And as I started doing that, I thought, well, let's give this a shot for work and see what, what comes from that. So in the beginning, I really just started taking uh, meeting notes. Like I've always been good about taking meeting notes, just kind of helps me pay attention when other people are talking. And then found like it was starting to be really helpful. People would bring things up. I'm like, oh, it's, it's, it's funny. I actually have a note on that from uh, three weeks ago. And this is exactly what we decided to do on this product. So quick background, what I do, I'm a software architect for a big internationally known uh, financial company. You can look me up on LinkedIn, but it, my opinions are my own. So I'm not going to mention them by name. At the same time, I'm also a fractional CTO and I do freelance work for individuals and small startups, things like that. I do lots of architecture and technical design for software and products and things like that. And I started giving each product and project that I was working on its own double bracket page in Rome. 
And it was really cool to start, you know, when you go and you click on it, you got a little description, which with that, that wasn't a big of a deal, but you see all the references, you see all the meetings where it's been brought up, all the decisions made, and that ongoing history across everything has been game changing. Like it blows my mind when I can pull up a product right now and see all the way back to the beginning of March decisions that we've been making on it. Hmm. Okay. That's actually interesting because we also have to have the the ability to figure out what to link. So to mm-hmm. know which ones to turn into a page is also uh, one thing that I would love to hear more from you. But we have uh, someone from Twitter at Mark Bulling asks uh, on tips and tricks on your meeting note system, particularly ways of synthesizing, consolidating and maintaining to higher levels. And I think uh, another angle for this is what's the criteria for turning something into a page beyond just the projects? Because I think maybe you are doing link references for something beyond just this project and this project, because that's kind of common sense, but also Mm -hmm. the different kinds of decisions, maybe the different kinds of people or the different kinds of patterns that you may turn into a page. I would love to hear like, what's your take on that? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've kind of settled on big nouns as pages. So, or important nouns, perhaps, is a better way to say that. So things like people's names, projects, products, concepts, decisions. Um, sometimes the decision, not so much. I let them just, if they, I make sure they link to a product or a project. But really, you know, the people, the projects and things I'm working on, uh, and then concepts. I do make concepts their own thing. So for an example... Uh, shadow IT is something that's fascinating to me. The idea of non-technical people doing IT within the confines of the business. And I have a page for that and I kind of link to it occasionally. Doing, I don't act on it necessarily. Just interesting to see trends develop over time across different companies. So I look for big nouns and double bracket. And the cool thing, we're not charged to create a new page. So I'm a little bit more liberal with creating them uh, and don't stress about if I never link to them again. Oh, okay. So you don't have a problem with, say, page overload or having too many pages? No. Oh, okay. And the reason why is, so and I did this when I kind of learned this lesson with Zettelcast. In the beginning, I was very conservative about creating a new note for something because I didn't want to have that note overload, the same concept, just, you know, in, in plain text files as I was doing it. But I, what I discovered is, if you create notes that are pages in this example that don't really ever become something, it's fine. Like you don't encounter them again. Like you don't care. Uh, they just kind of disappear back into the fold. You don't really have to deal with them mentally. Uh, okay. Okay. I see. Yeah. Even if it's captured, whether you see value or not is pretty much up to the future you to decide or uh, pretty much, you know, up to how your graph grows. But I guess it doesn't really... It doesn't really hurt to write something down. I guess that, that's that's a way to put it. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. And I know that's that's not the opinion of everybody. I've seen, you know, mm. on different forums for different note-taking methodologies, people are often pretty strict about what they create a note from, but that is definitely not my opinion. I just go crazy with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I I do have to say I do not agree with with that uh that way of looking at it, particularly because I do my best to try to find a connection yeah. with that page or that block, uh, what have you. So a lot of my note-taking systems, even if they don't necessarily have any big tags or anything like that, 
they are still under a general overarching hashtag notes tag. So at the very sure. least, they may come up. But if they don't, it's okay. But um, it's more about, uh, I'm not sure, maybe you, maybe you have a say on this, but for some note-taking methodologies, they may have too much of a dependence on metadata or on tagging mm -hmm. to resurface them up again so that we can find a context for them to be put in. But I think you wrote something about metadata being a little bit... I did. Yeah. I kind of hate metadata tagging. Or I should say non-contextual tagging. Let's let's say that instead. So uh, in my notes, I have a tag that I use for attendees. And then I list the names of people in there. That's a meaningful tag. Like I can click on that and I say, okay, well, here's the people that were in this meeting. They were part of this decision-making process. That means something to me. But I see a lot of people, especially in the beginning, early days of Rome, I think a couple of people wrote an article on this. Everyone just kind of echoed it out. But they literally just create a tag called tags and then hashtag a ton of stuff into it. And I think that's left over from our Evernote days and things like that, where we were kind of forcing systems to link for us. The problem is, is let's say that I, uh, I, I create a tag and it's just called payments and it's attached to some meeting. And I, I work with payments often. So that's one of the things that sticks in my head. And I pull up this payments tag and I look at all the things referenced to it. I don't understand at a quick glance, why did I tag that, that meeting with this word? There's no context for it. It's just, oh. here's the meeting, here's this word. And I have to, I have to go back and work a second time to have the same thoughts of what that, why did I tag that thing? So instead what I do, instead of having just a tags tag, if I want to use the word payments, I make sure there's a sentence in there and I just, I put in the sentence. Uh, you know, this meeting was about our decisions on payments, you know, should we charge triple, you know, things like that. Um, but that way I don't have to think again. Like I don't want to ever have to, th to think through the same steps again when I look back at my notes because I, I probably won't. So you can recognize the friction behind having a tag just for tags and yeah. greater dependence on, sorry, not dependence, but there's greater emphasis on applying the tag as opposed to just tagging whatever it is pages. I think it's maybe it could be residue from previous note-taking applications that we are trying yeah. to put into and trying to impose onto Rome graphs. I mean, it, it makes sense. It's just taxonomy, right? Like if you make a double bracket or if you make a hashtag or if you make the uh, double colon, then yeah. it, it's all the same. But to have a tag just to describe that this is a tag, it's a bit redundant. Yeah. I guess in put in that way, having non-contextual tagging is just pointless. Like it's just wasteful blocks. Okay, okay. If you if we put it that way, I, I get it. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Now I will say you made a point earlier that you want your notes to link together. And I 100% hmm. agree on that. In fact, I've not really heard anybody talk about this approach, though I'm sure others are using it. But I often go into the visual graph, you know, where you can see the little dots for all your notes and look for loners. So if I hmm. see a you know, a dot that's not linked to anything. I zoom in and check it out. And I've often deleted notes from that if, if they don't belong somewhere or I try to find a home for them. Yeah, I do the same as well. Uh, that's actually the only use of the graph overview for me because I don't have any, I don't see any value in having a big mess uh, of a graph other than that it looks pretty. But after the after three seconds, you're like, eh, you know, it, it just shows how messy or chaotic my brain is. But... Uh, yeah, I also zoom in and find 
pages that are not mentioned or have zero word count why are they there right is it just yeah. is it just dust like can i just delete it is it okay if i delete this will it have an effect on my connections and you know obviously it doesn't have any so i just delete it um it's exactly right <laughs> <laughs> do, do you find any other value just from the graph like is it just because it looks aesthetically pleasing and you can find a way to clean them up i will say in the early days it I thought it was really cool to keep looking at. Like I spent a lot of time just kind of just staring at it and like, Oh, that's cool. Mm. These things connect. Um, I do think, I don't know what the threshold is, but when you hit a certain number of notes, you can only see them in that grid. You can't see them. in. I think I don't know if I'm mispronouncing this, the coast layout. Ah, okay. You only have the option for the, that one grid diagram. I would like to see more options for the graphic layout. I think we're still in the early days of it. I, actually tweeted a while back, um, Connor was asking for suggestions on the graph. So I submitted a couple. And I think being able to filter things uh, more than just the dates, things like that. Um, but also maybe if you could just select one thing and show, you know, maybe to the third child or descendants or whatever, I think that would be a lot more useful mm. um, to see where ideas link together through a common concept. Yeah, I, I would see value in that definitely, mainly because... By zooming in, it limits uh, all the overwhelm if I'm looking at all 6,000 pages uh, of my graph. I was thinking of um, a layout that is actually dependent on the dates themselves. Sort of like a timeline or a skeleton where you have this straight line. And then from there, you just see all the pages that can link to it. But then, you know, you have have to test that out. I'm not sure if it's going to be messy um, because these layouts, like the coast layout and the main grid layout... They're, they are tried and true, right? So they might be the best way yeah. to visualize uh, all of these notes. But if you have this like timeline style, maybe it's a bit too much. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I, I hope they have more uses for it because I just don't touch that button at all. Because when you touch it, it lags because it oh, opens all oh, the pages. Oh, yeah, for sure now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once you started dumping enough of your brain in there, you're like, well, I guess I'm done with this feature for a while. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's the same for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> here's another use case uh that was brought up by somebody else uh at elisa doset i hope that i'm saying this person's name right um she wants to know more about how you are tracking your habits or your routine creation so do you do any and what are some of the habits that you track i would love to hear how rome helps you with this yes yeah. Sure, sure. So I saw that question. It's Eliza, I believe. Eliza, um, like okay. Elizabeth. Okay. Shout out. Um, Shout out. So I have just recently started tracking some personal habits. We are no longer in Mexico. About a month or so we go, we moved to Indiana for a while. I know my wife's family. So that's where we're currently at. It's very rural, which means we can go outside. Hence where I'm at right now. Um, mm. Sorry, podcast listeners, you can't see it, but I'm surrounded by a ton of trees in a forest <laughs> which is nice it's without a mask i'm outside yeah. without a mask and there's no one nearby yeah um but i realized i had gotten very sedentary during uh quarantine as as many of us have you either went very hyper exercise or you went the opposite direction i was definitely the opposite direction person but i've picked up exercise again the past probably two weeks and so each day I've been tracking, you know, what exercise did I do? When did I do it? Uh, tracking how many steps I take per day, things like that. And it's been cool to go back and 
to click on that and to see historically, okay, I, I do better on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays than I do on Friday and Saturday, you know, things like that. That's been really cool to go back and see. That thought combined with the, the, the question from earlier, like how my kind of what's my process? <clears throat> you know, I say I've adapted that daily format a little bit. So I use, uh, do you, are you familiar with Text Expander? Yes, yes, I do. Okay. I know it. So for anyone listening who doesn't know, it's you, you can basically treat a little snippet of code uh, and you teach this text expander, you know, if you want to hit semicolon ABC, it can expand out to whatever you decide to make it. So I, I use the actual text expander brand uh, and I use semicolon daily, D-A-I-L-Y. And I, of course, I came up with it. But then it creates um, headers for meetings, tasks, notes, and then under each one, I have certain things that pop up. So under my notes each day, I have a, you know, a five-minute journal entry. And each one of these is a, I've got surrounded by double brackets. So each one of them is a page. And that's the first thing I do each morning. I just, underneath the date, just type, you know, semicolon daily. And it formats it for me pretty quick. And I try and stick to that format. I'm in tons of meetings all day long, for better or worse. Uh, meeting culture still lives on. <laughs> so. Uh, under each one I've got you know of course they're under the date to begin with but I also uh, I'm very nerdy in how I date my things so I uh, actually put four digit year month day and then I put the time and I put some sort of title for the meeting whatever I think is appropriate and each one of those is their own page that I then write notes under task if I have any to-do list or anything that pop up I put the task wherever it's first encountered so if I'm in a meeting and a task comes up I just hit the little uh, backslash and enter, you know, creates a little checkbox and put it there. But then I use the alt drag to create a reference to my task on my main date. Mm. That way I can see, you know, at the top level, here's all the tasks I'm working on, but I can also click it and see the reference where that came up, the context of where did I come up with this idea of doing this thing? And I found that to be helpful. And a couple of times a day, I'll click on the main task header and you can see all the ones that are linked. If you don't know you can do this, it saves the filters that you use for a given page. So for task, I have it automatically filter out done because I don't care at that point. So when I click on it, it just shows open task. And I find that to be a huge help to my day. I've, I now don't use any other task management. I just use Rome. Uh, and that's been hu hugely helpful. And then anything else that I want to do during the day, any other notes, just go under the notes section. And sometimes I categorize them or I create a little structure in there. But... I give myself the freedom to make those that note section as ugly or pretty as I want. And I found that meetings, tasks, and notes, that has helped me a lot in my, my daily approach. And while I hated the, the brand new date for each time you open it up, uh, I now love that each day is a fresh, clean start, and I can just go from there. Yeah, I have to get used to that as well. As soon as, as, soon as it's midnight, all of your notes are pushed downwards, and... Yes. empty slate which is very bad for people who work at night i think um that's uh, maybe there's a way to edit that later in the future but you know when you're in the middle of writing out on a block and all of a sudden everything's pushed down and you have to start all over again th there's nothing wrong with that maybe it's just a minor inconvenience but if that happens all the time then um as, as someone who's yeah, working based on, on twitter <laughs> I think a lot of us are up past midnight. So yeah. I think it's something we all encounter. <laughs> yeah, uh, Rome Cult is uh, on and open 24 hours. So uh, 
uh, we we are having some trouble with uh, trying to keep up with all the things that are happening. But that that's what makes it pretty exciting. I do have a question though, because yeah. you have yeah. uh, you have the template for the the daily pages, and you start off with the five minute journal. When do you start writing in it? Is it when you wake up and you go to roam on your phone, or do you start journaling only when you go to your laptop or go to your PC? Okay, so this is how bad of a productivity person I am. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, I don't take cold showers, so I'm already out of that group with cool Mm. people. Also, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is grab my phone and scroll through Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and (laughs) all the things you are absolutely not supposed to do. So (laughs) the first time I am serious about my day is when I sit down and I'm in work mode. I'm an hour ahead of my actual office my primary office. So I start even an hour later than most people do. Uh, So I've got probably a good two or three hours that I'm just screwing around online. (laughs) So my five minute journal is not first thing in the morning. After my brain has eaten up a ton of garbage, actually. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I've already looked at all the pretty pictures on Instagram. I've watched a couple Minecraft videos on YouTube. Uh, yeah. So please, um, if you have found a more productive way, just, you know, don't count me part of that crew. I'm just not very good at that part. <laughs> hey, it works. If it works for you, I'm sure that it's okay, right? Like, <laughs> I, I like it how you're, enough. you're so honest. <laughs> I like how you're so honest about it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I definitely do not fit any kind of a course or description of what you're supposed to do to be productive in that realm at all. <laughs> Just note, uh, for all members of Rome Cult, uh, we are accepting of different levels of productivity. So uh, <laughs> don't don't worry. Um, I do the same, actually. I, woke, I wake up and I'm immediately on Twitter, which is pretty bad, especially because my iPad is near my bed. So, you know, Twitter oh, yeah. in HD, which is uh, good and bad at the same time, because that is where the addiction starts. Uh, actually, on what you just said, so do you use Rome for gaming? Just totally curious because I know that you have a different, you have a second Twitter account for all I kinds do. of shenanigans. So that, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> so my other Twitter account is my original one. It started in, I think, 2008. It's just David Crandall. So keep in mind, 2008, before anything, even, you know, before the financial crisis happened. And so Twitter was brand new. And, uh, you know, I've got significantly more connections on that first one. But it's all kinds of random stuff. And it is, it's a lot of gaming. I, again, I'm 45 years old, but I have been gaming hardcore since the early 80s. Um, And despite that, my favorite game is Minecraft. Literally, Minecraft, the game targeted at like teenagers, uh, is my favorite (laughs) thing to play. (laughs) I have a server with my kids. We play together. And I, every night before I go to sleep, the other end of my day, I'm awful. I watch YouTube videos and then fall asleep to YouTube. So. So everyone can just judge away on both ends of my day. <laughs> but I do. So I use Rome. Um, you know, like I said, I have a server with my kids. We're all yeah. pretty active together. And it's, each time we start a new world, it's about once a year. And so I've gone back and I've added old notes just because I'm nerdy and why not? So we always put you know, the seed for that world. Uh, but we also have tons of notes and plans that we do. And my middle daughter took to Rome also. She's 11. I have three that can read right now. The fourth one is six. She's just learning to read. But my 13-year-old 11 and 9-year-old boy, they can all read. 
But the oldest and youngest of that three, they didn't care to do Rome. They're not quite there, but my 11-year-old daughter took to it. So she's got her own Rome graph and everything. And she has been keeping her to-do list of what she wants to do in Minecraft and Rome and things like that. So it's been pretty cool. Wow. Oh, that's, that is pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to ask if there was going to be a, you know, like a public shared graph for your family to, to do all this, uh, to plan, you know, minecraft buildings or adventures that you're going to do oh okay okay that's that's pretty fascinating was it difficult to <laughs> actually on that point was it difficult to introduce your daughter to rome like trying to explain to her like oh what's you know what's so great about the tool no so she has not done any real note-taking ever prior to and i think i think it was march when i introduced her to it but she is very particular she has a calendar she writes on every single day i mean calendar goes on the wall not on her phone Mm. She wants to write on. She is our checklist child. She writes a checklist. Even if she's done it for the day, she's going to write, get dressed so she could check it off. So when I showed her Rome, it, she was pretty quickly interested. Now, she mostly just hangs out with the outliner features and very mm. little bit of the page linking. But I think she's starting to see uh, the benefit, how they, they link together. Oh, that is pretty cool. And I feel like that is pretty uh, cool. some of that behavior is... Uh, quite uh, evident because uh, from our conversation uh, right now, I feel like you can really see some of the patterns, uh, your obsessive yeah. note-taking of uh, decades of notebooks and it's now transferred <laughs> over. And now you have an 11 year old oh, yeah. with an amazing room database about Minecraft. That's fantastic. I love that so much. <laughs> yes. We feel so bad for my wife. She is not a nerd at all. Uh, hmm. And I've got at least three of the four kids so far. We don't know about the fourth one yet. So I feel sorry for her. She's left out in the nerdness. So, <laughs> yeah, added to do this to your room, like get the fourth one to be nerdy. Yes. Uh, yes. Oh, we're trying. <laughs> she likes Black Panther, so we at least got her started going to the Marvel direction. <laughs> oh, nice, nice, nice. <laughs> this is a great segue because we are seeing the potential of Rome to anyone, right? From an eleven-year-old yeah. girl to your use case of, with you know, meetings and notes and your five minute journal that happens way later uh, in the day after a couple of hours on Facebook yes. <laughs> uh, and many other walks of life who are using Rome for whatever they're doing, right? It doesn't matter if it's gaming, or it doesn't matter if it's for research or it doesn't matter if it's for something else. Rome is very versatile in how it can be used. And you have a lot to say on this because uh, on your article predicting the future of Rome, you drew a very uh, interesting diagram uh, for us to see the uh, potential roadmap of Rome, which I think, if I, so correct me if I'm wrong, you were predicting this, and then it was confirmed by Malcolm Ocean that all of what you were talking about was on the roadmap for Rome. Is that right? So he definitely heavily inferred that, I would say. Okay. Okay. Uh, I don't know how much that they're willing to confirm, but yeah, that's the impression I got is that, yeah, this is all on the roadmap, these concepts. Okay. So that I thought was pretty exciting. So, you know, back to, I said, you know, I'm a software architect, meaning I design solutions from a technical perspective. And my background is actually in data architecture specifically. I'm kind of fascinated by how data connects to each other, you know, hence the whole note taking things. Strangely, when I went to college before I dropped out, I am a, college dropout i went for graphic design back you know, oh. quite quite some time ago uh so i am one of those strange people that went from the school of arts over to technical and there's not i've not encountered a lot of me out there 
So I think I say all that to say, I think about things just a little bit different, probably, I think, than the average person. I actually started my second Twitter account to begin having conversations with people specifically about Realm. I thought it was that fascinating. I really just created that second account because I want to be part of the cool kids conversation and talk about Realm. One of the things that I was trying to come up with is I'm like, well, I've got to have some sort of unique perspective that that others might find interesting. Of course, you know, I think we often downplay our perspective and you're like, well, it's not as cool as, you know, person X, Y, and Z. So I thought, well, let's just take a step back, give myself some grace and just talk about what I think Rome looks like. And so I just started drawing on my iPad. Okay, here's what I think the architecture probably looks like on the background from a, a conceptual standpoint. Hmm. Now, here's some things I'd like to see. And I think these would be easy grabs. And that's basically where that thread came from. Um, prior to that, everyone just kind of talked about Rome as one concept, you know, Rome is an interface, Rome is the database, and it's just one chunk to them. But from a backend perspective, you've got this interface layer and this database layer that really don't have to be connected to each other. And you have the workings between them that they don't have to be connected. And when I started breaking those things out, well, how can each one of these individual things grow? I think that's where I kind of got excited. And it looked like people were excited about some of the thoughts I was having. So that was, you know, encouraging. <laughs> uh, like for at least a moment, I was part of the cool kids conversation. <laughs> <clears throat> so I think the database thing, I think a lot of people spend a lot of time talking about that, what that could evolve to, you know, especially when you introduce things like queries and things like that. Yeah. There's a lot of little mini celebrities that are popping up in the Rome culture that's, they talk about that stuff pretty often. I think one of the areas that I was focusing on is the interface and the what connects the interface and the database, which for ease of conversation, I just said, let's call this the API layer. So just how we get data from the database side to the interface side. And there's different terms you could use, but I chose that term because I wanted people to start thinking about what it would look like if we put this data in a different interface. And I think that's why I took a couple of notes because I thought that's, that's some cool stuff to me. <clears throat> I am you all know. about uh, you using your notes, so go for it. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So, you know, right now, all of us have to basically interact with Rome roughly the same way. We all log into the internet, we go to realmresearch.com and then our name, and then we have to use that interface. Now, I was very impressed with the Rome Research team when they introduced the ability to have CSS built right in. Like, that was, hmm. that was awesome. I love that they did that. We know all doing workarounds prior to that moment. They just made it official and said, let's go for it. They've done the same thing with JavaScript. And I know they have a really cool approach to working with their community. But still, we're all using a browser to interface with it. We still have to go through that methodology. I think if we disconnect the interface and the back end, that opens up numerous possibilities. At that point, we could use custom interfaces. Um, and instead of just each one of us figuring out our own workflow in Rome based on the browser, we could have interfaces and applications that are specific to certain things. Like I use it for project management a lot during the day. It's not the ultimate project management app though. It is very useful for the way I take notes and things like that. But I think that it could very well be married into a project management application that has other functionality that Rome doesn't natively have. You know, 
date planning, resource planning, things like that, but still connect on the back end to Rome. You know, you know, I mentioned earlier, I, I create a page for each person. Well, if you click on that, you have this history of this person, this information, but I don't need a Gantt chart crammed into Rome necessarily, but I still want to see that person's name and all their information. Like having that ability, if I'm in project management mode, is fantastic. If I want to switch to journaling, we're, oh, there's a lot of us that are using uh, Rome for journaling, but it's not the best journaling app. It's not the best thinking app. It's not the best of each one of these apps, but it's the best app to bring all these things together. But if you could use an API in a separate interface, you could pull it out and plug it into better versions of those aspects. Hmm. Okay. I love this mainly because it touches on the concept of context switching. If we yes. make use of our inherent need to have a visual element to teach us that we have to do a specific thing, like for example, it is the same backend Rome graph, but using interface A, it's now a task manager. Using interface B, yeah. it's now a project management app. Using interface C, it's a journaling app. It all connects in the backend, but we switch context by switching from interface to interface allows us to create constraints that encourages us to work better in this mode. And I am a huge advocate of that. I am a huge advocate of that. And I think uh, the, the best example of this would be pen and paper on a notebook. I, I'm not sure about yes. you, but maybe, maybe you might be a different person when you write down in journal on a, on, on a notebook. But then when you write in Rome, when you're doing your meetings, your notes, you're tagging your, uh, all the resources that you're putting in together, you're adding tasks, you require a different kind of energy or you may uh, require a different version of you or a different side of you uh, to work best in that context. So to have that uh, API, oh, well, I mean, I, I, I think it's a simplified way to do it, but um, to have an API that allows you to pull data for specific contexts is just a major thing to be excited about. So Brandon Toner from Twitter brought this up uh, and I really hats off to him for bringing it up because I was going to bring it up anyway, since I've read it beforehand. So I'm really happy that we could talk about this. So here's one thing from another angle. If you have this, you know, this potential API that can connect to many different interfaces that allow us to context switch and make the most of our graph in whatever way that we feel uh, as individual Rome users, instead of looking at the future of Rome, what would the future of Rome cult look like if you Ooh. were to have this API <laughs> with multiple interfaces? What's, what's your take on that? I've thought about that a little bit, even in mm. previous to his question, but I think it's such a great question, very well articulated. So right now, you know, each of us gets, I think, three databases roughly, depending yeah. on if you were an early beta or not. So it, you know, three different graphs you get to work in. And each person is, is separated also. There is a movement within our culture to break out of that. So we are already developing public libraries of information for others to use. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've contributed to this Rome Library, Rome Public, I think is the other one. Republic, yeah. The two right. big ones. Yeah. Uh, so the two of them are great. They're they're trying to curate these public libraries of that people have created. And there are things like a lot of them are, you know things that are in the creative commons or that are in public domain from like Gutenberg and things like that. Old texts, speeches, things like that. All this information that each of us is trying to put into our 
three databases to say like, here, you use this. I don't know how you're going to use it. So today that's how we have to do it. But if we can open up the back end, we can start being connected in a whole different way. So right now you might have a, a work graph and a personal graph. And if you want to use data from one to the other, you have to copy paste out today. You can't link between those two separate graphs. I think it would be great if you could. And I think it would also be great if you could just click a setting somewhere and say, yes, make this accessible to whoever wants to use it. Uh, obviously, there needs to be some checks in place for that. So, so <laughs> uh, for security reasons. But, you know, if, if you have the works of Marcus Aurelius, there's no reason I have to copy that and put it in my database. It's just storing it multiple times on their back end. But if I can link to what you're doing, and especially if we have some sort of ability to see how others have linked the same thing. I think that's, that's going to open up a really cool world of possibilities. And I see, you know, one of the, the first things I saw people doing, this kind of caught my attention, is people are using Rome to study religious texts, things like mm. the Bible or the Quran and different texts like that are important to them. It'd be really cool if you have, you know, for example, if you had a Bible study and you guys were all going through a particular book of the Bible, and you're all taking notes. Would well, be really cool to see, you know, here's five different people's take on what these passages mean in this religious text. Like I think that when we can get to more connectivity to, at the individual level, will be mind blowing to see what comes out of that. Oh, the the thought of it is just so exciting. I mean, right? <laughs> It'll be so awesome if we both um, refer the same texts and we can see each other's comments or deconstructions of the text like the same book oh, yeah, on Marcus yeah. Aurelius or something and you know I would see your text and I may agree or may disagree but what it does is that it provokes me to think even more or provokes me to think critically which is fantastic because that in a way is making linked references from person to person way beyond the yeah. block since these are representations of what we believe or what we think or uh, our perspectives or perceptions of this text oh I love that I, I think that would be so cool. I think even like when you see a glimpse of what this could be like, when you look like read a Medium article or a Kindle book, and you see it says, you know, most highlighted passage or sentence, especially if that stood out to you like, oh, okay, okay, other people thought this was cool too. And then when you get into how deep our notes are within Rome, and to see, you know, 10 other people made a comment on this passage in this ancient text, you can see, oh, okay, well, three of the people thought the same thing I did. Oh, look, this person had a whole idea I never even thought about. I'm just very excited to see what that looks like actually play out. How would you visualize that? Because that sounds very, very complicated. And it, we can already be overwhelmed by our own graph. But can you imagine connecting to a public room graph and looking at a text? And there's a button that says view references by other people. And how many Rome users do we have right now? that could potentially reference this one text and you yeah. can have like 600,000 references. Um, I, I hope they find a way to visualize that properly or if Me we too. could, <laughs> yeah. Uh, or if we could at least, what's the best way to put it? Follow certain accounts or follow yeah. certain graphs so that we can see their references. Maybe that's a way um, to uh, visualize it. Oh, I, I love this. Like the, the, the notion of interconnected thinking uh, has always just got me like, like excited uh, to see how this is. Oh, 
I do like that idea of following other people's graphs. You know, we follow each other's graphs on Twitter uh, mm -hmm. or Facebook or Instagram. You know, if you want to use that same word in those contexts, especially people like Visa. Visa. How do you say your last name? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, his whole Twitter is just a giant threaded graph. Yeah. Um, and we follow that. We follow his light of thinking. I think it'd be really cool if we could do something similar within Rome. You know, if I could follow Anne Luer and Visa and different people that I find interesting elsewhere, uh, it'd be really cool to see what they look like in Rome uh, if we happen to share a similar text or something like that. The way that Visa is using it is pretty fascinating because he stop treating Twitter like social media. It's more oh, like yeah. the network thought method uh, of, you know, posting each and every tweet storm. And it makes me wonder about blurring the lines between a social media and a network graph. If, if, we, oh, yeah. if we are looking at the future of Rome <clears throat> from this angle, right? And we are looking at discussions on text. We are looking at maybe even status updates by accounts, uh, by Rome accounts or Rome graphs that we follow. Is that in itself social media? Or is that in itself a different level or a deeper level uh, of social media where we are not trying to, you know, get likes or retweets or shares or anything like that? We connect with each other via our critical thinking. I think that's something to be really exciting to think about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that would be really cool to see. And I, you know, it's funny, my thread that we actually were talking about earlier, the future of Rome thread was inspired mm -hmm. by Visa's threaded conversations. And I, I didn't necessarily do, I didn't do it for likes or anything. It was just, you know, here's my contribution to the world. This makes it much easier to do a thread than trying to get it down to a certain limit of numbers. And I think that kind of influence on each other is something that we can look forward to and, and, see a positive outcome yeah and i am really looking forward to seeing the positive outcome especially on uh the future of rome its api and what amazing interfaces that people are going to build on top of it because serious thought if people are going to start building interfaces on top of a rome graph i won't have a single app on my phone anymore it'll just be these interfaces <laughs> they will just replace everything yes. right right like i i have an app for a my to-do list. I have an app for project management. I have an app for email, right? What, I mean, what's going to stop me from building an interface that is for my Rome graph and everything just connects there. I'm not sure about security, right? Maybe you have a, you have a say on that, but how many interfaces connect to the same graph? We don't know. Um, but seeing a future like that would be so exciting. Oh, oh, oh my goodness. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, we are just one step closer to the hive mind. <laughs> Does that scare you? The hive mind concept? I think the hive mind scares me. The mm. uh, the singularity, you know, there's there's dystopian and utopian aspects yeah. you could take from each one. I think when I see uh, mob rule and cancel culture on Twitter, that aspect scares me. Mm. I think when I see people collaborating and learning like we do in the Rome cult, that gives me hope. So I'm hoping we lean more towards that latter scenario. I see. Okay. So as long as we don't weaponize it for, you know, malicious intent, I think uh, it yeah. can work. I it, I think it can work really well. Yeah, I think that's going to be a battle that we have to start fighting for. <laughs> <laughs> 
And now, uh, David, we are coming up on time, but I have a few uh, segments to close this off with. The first segment is a pretty simple question. How would you describe Rome to someone who hasn't started using it yet? My online second brain. Mm. Quite the uh, answer a lot of people would agree with, um, especially because recently uh, the discussions of what second brain means um, may not necessarily apply to Rome. Which is pretty interesting. That's a that's a topic for a whole True. other thing. Yeah, because I'll it, be it, brief in my response to that. But like, yeah, please. I was out of work for not out of work. Like I was on vacation for two weeks, and a lot happened in my personal life during that time. I'm fine, but there's still a lot to take in. Mm. And because I've been so meticulous about my note taking and my products and projects and all these things, I had set up some future reminders in Rome just by doing the date picker and things like that. The reason I said it was a second brain was when I got back to work, I was like, I cannot remember what I was doing at all. I opened up Rome, bam, it was all right there. All the things I had told myself, you need to remember this in two weeks. You need to do these things in two weeks. Here's the task you don't forget to do. And it really was like having a second brain or a second person. It was just my past self helping my future self not to waste a few days trying to get caught up. But it, it really was like having a, a literal second brain. Yeah, I look at it as having a Jarvis, right? Like a virtual assistant yes. that just helps you with everything. Like, <laughs> I, I, I wrote this thread about, uh, I, I wrote a quick tweet about how we are building Ultron. Like, it's just this amazing <laughs> thing that we're building over time that is just going to bite us in the ass uh, if we give it too much power. Uh, but for the time being, it's just convenient to have them there. But uh, a, a Jarvis would be a pretty fantastic and assistant. Uh, but yeah, a second brain, definitely, I do agree with that. With plenty more capability, of course, uh, way more than sure. just remembering things. But the ability to link them uh, is what makes it super unique. And the final question is, what does Rome mean to you? Well, I would tell you during this time of unrest and unprecedented situations. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my email keeps telling me. Uh, it has been a, it has been a very calming place for me to not have to hold everything inside my head. I think I've always had that propensity anyway. That's why I journal and I take notes uh, so meticulously. Um, now, mind you, when I say meticulous, I don't mean like beautiful minds level. Like I'm not you know, drawing lines and yarn everywhere. But it's been very helpful to to take my time to write things down. I even, on days where I've had rough days, uh, you know, the thick of the quarantine were, was pretty rough for a lot of us. There were certain days I wrote, why am I feeling bad today? And I just made it its own page. And I would write different things, you know, the things that came to my mind. And it was cool to see even just getting them out. That always helps, you know, kind of get them out of your mental space. But it's also been really cool to go back uh, but individually and, you know, with a counselor or my wife or somebody was like, hey, look at these patterns I didn't realize were in my thinking. Some of these point to realistic issues and some of them point to things that are not realistic. And I don't understand why they occupy my brain. So for me, it's been a very encouraging, calming place to, to kind of work through my thoughts uh, initially by myself, but also in conjunction with others which is one of the reasons why I think linking things together uh, with other individuals can be so amazing. Uh, you know, not just public literary works, but I think it could be very healing if one day we could 
Sorry, the mosquito. One day we could talk with people and say, hey, look, we're dealing with the same set of issues. Uh, you know, not me personally, but things like alcoholism or drug abuse, things like that, things that weigh heavy on our hearts, our souls. If we could link together with other people at, at an additional level that we can today, I think that has a, a lot of healing capacity for people. And I think that's such an interesting use of the tool that no one's really thought about. And I'm sure it was never part of the original, you know, white paper, why we should do this thing. But I think that's, it's another example where the, the use of it and the tint of the users is starting to drive how the tool will develop long-term. It's, I've never thought about that as a use case, actually. That's pretty beautiful uh, to Thank you. be able to share that level of vul vulnerability and through this interconnected, you know, network thought thinking tool, uh, whatever you call it, you can find others who are going through the same or have gone through uh, similar perils or similar downfalls in life. And maybe one, see how they plowed through it or to find solace in uh, meeting with others who are going through the same thing, who can empathize with the pain that you're going through. Uh, and from there, you can connect. Um, because these are burdens that are very hard to hold or they are very hard to keep up uh, on your own, in your head, especially. So we would find oh, yeah. it a lot calmer to have it down in writing, but to have it down in Rome and see that it can be connected or see that it has similarities with things that might be either in public or shared by those who are honest enough to, you know, share that kind of thing. Uh, I would find that to be amazing. Like at the Rome at this point would. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. A Rome at this point would serve as a really good counseling tool. Now that I think about it. Um, yeah. If, so uh, being vulnerable for a split second, I have, I've had it open. I've had counseling three times since quarantine started and I've had Rome open the whole time. Like, sorry, I got to take a note on this. Clack, clack, clack. <laughs> Wait, so, so uh, do, you have it, do you have it during, like, while talking with the counselor that you have to... Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. Okay. Oh, okay. You should uh, probably introduce that counselor to Rome and see how would they apply it to clients. I think that'll be pretty interesting because... That would be cool. Recognizing the patterns of negativity in yourself and in others is probably something that people can explore. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure to like an academic level, but you know, at the very least in a way where you can learn how to serve them better or in a way where you can learn how to know more about yourself better. And I think those are perceptions that Rome can help you with or can guide yeah. you. With. So I've actually thought it'd be really cool for counselors or people who work with people in that respect, you know, just like it takes a while to build, regardless of your work, you know, I'm working with products and software. Yeah. But it's really cool to see what patterns exist across all of your clientele for a given mental state. Like that, that would be really cool from that perspective. The most interesting moment would be if you're in multiple sessions with this counselor and one day they just show you their Rome page of you and they oh, yeah. explain to you hey, on this date, you were feeling sad. On this date, you were feeling happy. What's the pattern here? Why is there a disconnect? Da, 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 da. And it becomes this, what's the best way to put it? You now introduce a third person into the conversation and that is your past self now put into Rome and you can disconnect yourself and look from outside the box 
and see the patterns of this person who is you from days before. Yeah, that's cool. Now, now that will be pretty fascinating. Uh, I hope to hear uh, from a counselor or a therapist who can apply this much better than how I'm explaining it in a very chaotic manner. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also talk about things like uh, privacy. Maybe that's a bit too much. Uh, and security because, um, you know, these are very personal things. I don't think you'd want to have your sessions uh, maybe even recorded. I don't think uh, some people might find that very uncomfortable. But uh, these are just examples of all the applications of Rome Research. So, uh, David, thank you so much. If we want to contact you on anything that we talked about in this conversation or really just to geek out about Rome together, uh, how should we do that? Sure, absolutely. I'd love to talk more. So on Twitter, I'm David Crandall underscore W, which matches my website of davidcrandallwrites.com. Uh, but if you happen to go to David Crandall on Twitter, you'll find my other accounts and just say hi there and I'll direct you to the one that's not about Minecraft. <laughs> 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 or if you want to talk about Minecraft, come on, come on. <laughs> actually, actually, on that note, what's the most interesting thing you've built in Minecraft? Oh, gosh. Village traders, iron farms, uh, gigantic castles, automation. I'm very nerdy in it. <laughs> <laughs> we can probably save uh, a Rome FM episode just for Minecraft uh, another time. So for the time being, David, thank you so much. And I will see you on Twitter. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening to the show. Make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast listening app. And for a full version of the show notes to this episode, you can check out the public Rome graph. The link to that will be in the description right below. For more updates, comments, feedback, and suggestions, you can reach out to me at RomeFM on Twitter. Keep roaming your thoughts, and I will see you in the next episode. Take care. <laughs>